Hello there, friends. I'm Richard Kisnan. We all knew it was coming. Adulthood. Relationships and marriage, business, health, money, bills, fitness. If you're like me, we didn't think that life would come at us like this. I welcome you to join me for raw, authentic, and hopefully really fun conversations about coming into your own as an adult and to help you create a powerful life of your design. This is the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Hey there, AR Nation. I've got a quick announcement I'd like to share with you. It's about an incredibly powerful, high-ticket marketing community that I'm a proud member of. It's called the Super Affiliate Accelerator. This program's absolutely for you if you want to be successful online. Whether you're a beginner looking to get started with an online business, and also if you already have an online business but struggling to reach your goals. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is run by three experienced and amazing coaches. Between the three of them, they've sold millions of dollars in products and services online across all different industries. Why I find the Super Affiliate Accelerator so powerful is because of its unique all-in-one blend of a proven training program, weekly coaching and mentoring from an amazing group of accomplished internet marketers, and a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. For a limited time, the SAA coaches are offering a complimentary business strategy call. So whether you're a coach or consultant, if you provide professional services, or if you just want to start an online business, but you're confused or overwhelmed with where or how to start, I invite you to check out this incredible program, the Super Affiliate Accelerator. And you can learn more today by visiting richardkistnan.com forward slash SAA. Again, that's richardkistnan.com forward slash SAA. Now, let's get to today's amazing episode. Hey there, friends. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Kiston. I'm so thankful, so grateful, so blessed that you're here spending your time with me wherever you are in the world, doing whatever it is you may be doing. At least here in New York City, it's a beautiful day. It's a little chilly, a little brisk, but the sun's out, ready to play. So if you get a chance, you're here on the East Coast, get out there and take advantage of the day. I'm super excited to bring on our guest on this episode. I met her in a a Facebook group, um, and right before the call, she was sharing a little bit about her story, and it's truly inspirational about how you can take a moment or a season in your life, and instead of looking at it as a roadblock, converting it into a gift, converting it into an opportunity, not only for yourself, but to help others around you. Um, so I'm super excited to bring on Elizabeth Buko. She's a financial transformation coach, helping uh, female entrepreneurs and professionals around the world master their relationships with money. So Elizabeth Buko, welcome to the Adulthood Reason Podcast. How are you doing? I'm very fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Richard. <laughs> I'm very excited and very thrilled that, that you're here spending your time with me um, on mm-hmm. the podcast. So if without further ado, I'd, I'd like to dive right in. You were sharing uh, before we hopped on this call a little about your background. So if you want to go back and, and because your story and where you were in life and some of the events that occurred, you were working, you, you've got the degrees behind your name, you've got, uh, you were working a great or at least at the time you think a great steady job providing for you and your family. But then as I like to say, life happened. So I'm not going to steal your thunder. If you can spend a few moments sharing, um, you know, where you found yourself how things were going, and then, you know, where you found yourself at at a crossroads in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so thanks for having me, Richard, again. Um, So I studied chemical engineering in university. I have a master's in chemical engineering, and um, I worked as a chemical engineer in an oil and gas consultancy for about seven to eight years. And um, Working that job, it was it was a great job. The industry was stable at the time, and you know, I, the truth is, I actually picked chemical engineering at the time because it was the highest paid form of engineer. I knew I wanted to be an engineer. I wasn't sure which one, and I picked chemical engineering because that, those were the highest paid. <laughs> so I got into this job expecting to earn a lot of money and you know retire as an engineer you know, with a great pension package. And um, seven years in, seven to eight years in, I got the call one day that um, my CEO had passed away. The company was in financial stress. Don't bother coming into work today. 
Yeah. And, and that's, and that's how I realized that I was being made redundant. And at, at this point I was seven months pregnant with my second child and in the middle of buying my first home and expecting to have a paycheck <laughs> in a couple of weeks. And that check never arrived. And that was the last I, you know, I had to do with the company. It was, it was over. The journey was over. If I can ask you this, because you shared that you knew you wanted to be an engineer, but not sure where, and that you, the choice to become a chemical engineer was dictated by the money. Did you, prior to that, or growing up as a youth when you were younger, did you feel like money was your driving priority? Or, or why do you think that the decision to pursue a, a, your, a chemical engineer career revolved around money? Well, growing up, there used to be this nursery rhyme. My mom used to sing the nursery rhyme to me. And the lyrics kind of says that if you study hard, you will be able to work in hills. And in my mind, I equated working in hills as having a high, powerful job, you know, a job that, and a high, powerful job in my mind equated to a job that brought in money, you know, not necessarily a lot, but at least enough for you and, or more than enough for yourself. And that was, you know, definitely a drive. I wanted to be able to take care of myself going forward. I wanted to be able to take care of my children, my family, and my parents. I never wanted to be in a police position where I could never afford, you know, a necessity as per se. You know, um, I grew up for many years till I was about 10 in a single parent home. So my mom provided everything and she was blessed that, you know, she had a good job, but I could see the effects of that. I could see that the fact that she had a good job meant that we had certain things and we were able to live a certain lifestyle. And if that wasn't there, there was nothing else to fall back on. Um, and the, definitely those experiences all tied in together made me feel like I definitely needed to in a way like live up to my mom's ability to take care of herself and her children as a single parent for many years until she remarried and my stepdad is wonderful and and also to ensure that if I was ever in that position I would always have enough and more than enough and so I did pick my course based on the potential of earnings. And I could see how much were the senior engineers earning, how much are executives earning, how much are managers in engineering earning, how much are like the CEOs earning in different parts. And I, and I kind of <laughs> graded them and I saw the, how the pay would increase. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'll go with chemical engineering. They get paid faster. <laughs> and so much, then, sorry, so much of what you just said actually resonates with me a lot because I felt like growing up, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I, everyone around me, parents and teachers said that I had so much potential, so much, the world is limitless for me. And as I was getting older and I got to college particularly, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And it, it kind of boiled down to like, okay, these are my options. Which one gives me the most financial security? Uh, because kind of like you, I can, my, my parents, fortunately, my dad always worked was able to put up, we lived in a house, put food on the table, but never like wealthy, right? If, even to, when I look at standards, we were lower class in terms of median income. Um, and so I'm like, I, money was kind of my priority. I wanted security, I wanted all that. So when you share that just now, that really, really resonated with me. Um, I want to go back now. So you were working at this, this oil and gas um, refinery for about seven or eight years. All of a sudden one day, boom, you were notified that you are being let go. You're made redundant. You're seven months pregnant. What was that experience like? Because at that point, the thing you had worked so hard for, steady paycheck, putting money into its, its respective place, all of that kind of disappeared when the paycheck stopped coming in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, who was that? That was a bunch of feelings. Um, I was about to have a baby, so... Like I like it was exciting that I was about to have a baby, but it was painful that I was losing a job, especially when it's not voluntarily, right? 
um, so, so the loss of the job was painful because I enjoyed my job and I, I wasn't expecting it was really sudden. And it, it, really, it really shook me internally just and, and mentally. It shook me because it made me kind of feel a bit unwanted. The company was, was going through financial distress and they were tearing it apart. Some people were being let go, some were kept. But we were working on a really great project. I was working on that project and that project was being kept, right? But I wasn't kept to continue working on that project. Someone else was kept to continue working on that project. And of course, I'm seven months pregnant. Like it was very obvious. And so I, I can understand why they wouldn't want to keep me because in, in a few, in a month or so, I would be saying bye. Or I'm going on maternity leave. But not only that, it was also the fact that I wasn't paid my previous month's salary. I didn't have a retirement package or a, a redundancy package. I didn't have anything, you know, as a goodbye. I didn't even have a watch as a thank you. And I had invested so many long nights in that company to push us to, you know, to where we were. The decisions that got us there were not, you know, mine. And I, I, I think I overthought it. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, you know, your job is not there to make you rich, is not there to ensure that you are well taken care of. That is your job. That is my job, right? Not, not my boss's job. And so when, if I put my future in his hands and ho hoping that he'll keep, keep giving me a job for life, then that was my fault for not realizing that, you know, I'm supposed to be making the best of the income I'm making, what I'm earning and, not, and leveraging that and not just relying on some third party to be able to take care of me. And it was unfortunate that, that you know, that happened that way. It, it definitely did crush me mentally for a bit. I can imagine, especially, you know, again, anyone even listening to this can resonate with it. Imagine spending, you know, the last, the latter, larger part of the last decade working for this company and then one day saying, being told goodbye. But not only that, you, you had just recently bought a home or in the process of buying a yeah. home. You had your, your second child, was it, on the way shortly. Mm -hmm. What were the emotions that you were dealing with or not just emotions, but feelings, the, the experience of that, not, not the job is done with, right? The next day or the, or the week after, like it's gone, but you still have your baby on the way. You still have your family, you still have house. And then maybe all the, cause you were sharing a little before that you had at this point, instead of the recurrent, the paycheck coming in, you had a static amount. Yeah. What was that experience so, like? And then, and then how did you kind of find your way through that? So, so we had a bit of savings and that was good because once that job loss announcement came, we still had this sum of money, fixed sum of money that, you know, we had left, you know, we had to ourselves. And yeah, we just bought a house. We had just, we were about to move. And I think we moved about a week after I got the call. We moved in about a week after I got, we just moved in. We were ordering beds, ordering furniture redecorating the house, just doing a little bit of cosmetic work to the house. So all that required money. And we had budgeted with future incomes as well, right? <laughs> we had budgeted with future incomes on what we were going to do to the house. And with this shock, we had to like scale back. Luckily, we hadn't made too much payments. Um, but the, the loss of, of, you know, having that fixed income and watching it, reduce every month it really made me feel like I was reducing myself so every time I looked at the, my bank account and I'd see it reducing I'd feel like I felt less of a person each time I looked at it until the point I just actually tried to stop looking at it because I knew it was going to go down because obviously every month I'm paying 
paying for something or doing something. And the money lasted about a year, to be fair. But every month, it just kept on reminding me about how inadequate I was because um, my identity was tied up in my money, in the amount of money I was able to make. As long as I was able to make this income, then I was, in my mind, responsible. In my mind, I was a good you know, citizen and I was also a good wife and a good mother. Now, I wasn't making any income. And, and for the really first time in, since, you know, in my adult years, I was completely reliant on someone else, <laughs> on, on my husband. And even though we had always lived on one income, which made the transition easier, I guess. We had always lived on one income and I was used to you know, telling him, this is what we're using our money for. This is what we need to pay for. And I would be the one to save all the money. Now we were, I was still asking him and tell, ask, telling him about expenses that needed to be paid, but I wasn't saving anything. And I kept on feeling this feeling in my heart, like I'm not pulling, I'm not pulling my weight. And I know he never said it and it's not anything that he thinks about. He doesn't even think that, but he, he kept, I felt that I'm just not pulling my weight now. Now I'm not, a, I'm not, a, <laughs> not useful. I felt I wasn't useful. I wasn't. And it, it was a, a place of hopelessness. I remember one time, and, I, and of course, I just had a baby as well. So I'm bearing in mind that hormones might have had a part to play. But I remember one time just sitting down and I would stay downstairs in, in, my, in my sitting room. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go upstairs to, at nighttime to, to my bedroom. I would, I would stay in my sitting room all night studying different things. I would study the brain because I wanted to know why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. I would study um, investing because I wanted to know why all my investments flopped. What did I do wrong? I would study um, ways to save so that I can keep, you know, make more money. Then I would study. Uh, I would study how to make more money now, and then I would also start applying for jobs. And it was just a myriad of things that I was doing downstairs just to keep me busy to get me back to this state of being useful, get me back to this state of being useful because as long as I was useful, then I was wanted in a way. I grew up in a single family home, as I said, and just having one parent who worked all the time, she was useful. My mother was, in my eyes, definitely, she was a superwoman. She did she was able to provide really good quality of life for us. She was good at budgeting. She was good at managing her money. She was in our, in my home. We were the kind of people, it seemed like we were very, we were rich, but lived poor. Really crazy. It was very confusing. My mom always had more than enough, but we always lived way below our means. So she always had more than enough you know, and things were never such a big tight. It was, we never experienced tightness or, or being squeezed and knowing that, you know, she was doing this by herself for many years until, you know, she remarried and then my stepdad is a wonderful man. But for the beginning of my life, when she was on by herself, I really felt that if I was really wanted, then I'd have two parents taking care of me and not just one. And when this came back and I lost my job, it brought it up back that I don't even have enough to take care of myself. Then who would want me? It didn't make sense, but that was kind of the, that was definitely the thoughts that came back. And so my husband said to me, he shared this with me one day, he said to me, you know, we can take turns. And I said, what does that mean? He said, you've been so good with money ever since we got married. And even our wedding, we had a wonderful, luxurious wedding. Amazing in Dubai. And we had this beautiful wedding, completely debt-free. We didn't use one credit card. We paid everything cash. And he said, We've had such a great life ever since he met me. And I've been so good with money up until now. And he said, maybe that's why we are here right now. 
how about if maybe it's his turn to be the one who's good with money? And that was so sweet because he was basically telling me that I am so useful and I've done so much. And maybe it's his turn to, for us to swap. And I'm the one that it's time for me to chill and relax and him to provide <laughs> in that sense. And he did. And he's, you know, he's worked so hard. He's gotten multiple promotions and he's, Paycheck continues to grow, which grew great because, as I told you, I do like money. And so those emotions were there. And I remember just thinking, just trying to apply for a new job and trying to figure out about my life. Okay, fine. My husband's not going to divorce me because I'm broke. So <laughs> crazy, crazy. I know, I like, you know. But the brain is crazy. The brain is crazy. We come up with really crazy thoughts. And um, not everyone is brave enough to share that. But I felt like, okay, so my husband's not going to divorce me. Um, maybe other people didn't want me, but he does. So now I have the space to think about what I really want to do next. I don't have to get a job. And I started looking for jobs and applying. And then they'll ask me, so is there anything else that we should know about you? I'll say, yes, can I work from home? And this is before working from home became a thing. They'll be like, ah. <laughs> you have to be in the office at least five days a week. <laughs> and then the next day they'll call me and say, we really like you, but uh, we're going with someone else who has a little bit more experience. And I knew I was self-sabotaging constantly in these interviews. I'll get to the final stage and I'll just say something about my kids or something about and then Obviously the interviewer will end, be put off completely. And my husband said to me, you don't have to get an engineering job if you don't want to. I said, I really don't mind. I just don't want to go back to nine to five. We had two kids now and they were still small and childcare costs were huge. And I'm thinking if I'm going to put them in childcare for this amount, that's the same as my paycheck. So for two of them, so I might as well stay at home or, you know, work from home in, in a way. And um, he gave me the space to actually just, think about who I am and what I wanted to do and what my purpose was, what my calling is, my assignments on this earth. And I had that space and I didn't have that pressure of we need this. And, and even though I did feel that pressure because my, my savings now has dropped to like maybe one pound. <laughs> so I did feel the pressure, but he just encouraged me to just let it go. So it's one pound. Yes, just let it go. Just don't no pressure yourself. And that's how I just started praying about my next step and what I wanted to do next without holding on to so much of the past and so much of my past identity, which I was holding on to at this point. If I can yeah. share, because first of all, <laughs> that story right there, and I think this may be the first time this has occurred as I'm like on a podcast made me tear up so <laughs> that was such a powerful it like I, I i don't know if what's gonna happen to the video but literally tearing up because like i felt i felt what you were you were experiencing right that like the the stuff from your past especially the way we were raised and how like if we don't if we don't pay particular attention to it and awareness on it the way it bites us in the ass, like from time to time in, in ways and experiences that we never, we never like thought would occur. And so when you're saying that these emotions and that experience for you brought up feelings of unworthiness based on your experience as a child, like I think about that too. Right? the same thing, like how is it that my, my, my parents, my dad, particularly an immigrant to the United States is able to like, buy houses and build this wealth. And here I am like, where am I going to pay my rent from or whatever the case is, you know? <laughs> so it's like, and I, I, so as you were sharing the story, uh, that was so impactful. So thank you for being so vulnerable and open about that. Um, yeah. I did tease when we opened that it's your story to me resonates and sounds off as being having the ability that we, I think we all have it, 
of coming up against obstacles and challenges and then converting them to gifts and opportunities. And I think you were leading us there. So you had this great, your husband comes around and is like, you know what? I got this, right? Like, you can take it easy. It gives you the space. And, you know, you shared with me before that you, you are a woman of faith, Christian, um, and that you had an experience that kind of led you to where you've taken your life today. So uh, if you can share yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah. So my husband said that, we, you know, he'll, he's going to support us that I shouldn't stress too much. We've always lived on less than one income, way below our means at that point. So it wasn't like we had loads of money, but it was just the habit that supported us through this transition, just the habit of living, not, not having our lifestyle so much more than our income or even more than our income. And so I'm on this couch and I'm on this couch for about three months downstairs in my living room you think I was homeless oh, in my house like literally every night from like 10 till 3 in the morning like once my kids are in bed I'm on this couch and just thinking and thinking and thinking and just playing with my thoughts some of them good thoughts some of them bad thoughts anyway this day I'm praying and I'm like what am I supposed to do I'm really confused I'm like what am I supposed to be doing why am I thinking this way? Why am I feeling so lost? Why am I just? And of course I am feeling lost because for so long that my, my life has been defined by labels. I've been labeled a student, engineer, um, school captain, house prefect, um, school prefect, body, just different labels. So anytime anyone has met me ever since I was probably five, Hey, Elizabeth, um, so how are you? What are you up to? Literally a label will come out. Oh, yeah, so I'm class captain. Oh, yeah, so I'm school perfect. Oh, yeah, so I'm studying. Oh, yeah, so I'm in school to become an engineer. I'd always had this label. It's never, yeah, I'm Elizabeth and I'm happy or I'm good or I enjoy fishing or any other thing that kind of describes a person apart from what they do. Since I was on this, on my couch in my sitting room and um, God says to me, like, I have this encounter with God when I'm having this conversation with him one day. And he said to me, well, what do you want? What do you like? Tell me what you like. Cause I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And he said, what do you like? I said, well, I feel so embarrassed to say this, but okay, I'm going to tell you because you're God, so you already know already. But I like money. <laughs> and I felt so embarrassed. I was just like, I really like money. I think that's all. I just want money. That's all I want. Just give me money. And he's like, okay, so you like money. So how can you use that for my glory? I was like, what? Okay, so I'm not getting like, no one's knocking on my door. Give me a check. He said, no, so how can you use that for my glory? And that was the end of the conversation. And I started thinking about it. How can I use that for God's glory? How can I use that for God's glory? And nothing, nothing was coming to me initially. The very next day, I'm talking to my sister and she's, just, she's talking about just debt and everything. And I started giving her some advice. Um, like two weeks later, I'm talking to a cousin. She has this business and she's just wondering how to do business finances and I'm giving her some advice and then I'm giving friends advice about investing and some people who say, Oh, how did you buy your house? I want to buy a house and I'm giving them money advice on buying your first home. And I'm just giving them random advice. And like, I'm saying this, it sounds like it's a long time. I'm, it's really, really short. Maybe this is like a week. <laughs> and then um, the following week I attended some investing seminar to learn about investing and because I have been investing since I'm 19, but I lost all my investments. So there's obviously something I didn't know. So I attend this investing for beginners seminar. Everyone there has never heard of investing and they're asking me, Oh, who's head of it? I can't even raise my hand. I'm like, this is a shame. Like, yeah, I, I, I've been investing since I was 19 and I'm crap <laughs> because I've lost everything. Um, so it's more like gambling, really, then in that case, I felt like a gambler. So I'm, I'm there, I'm learning about this investing thing, and I'm sharing it willingly with like everyone that I know. I'm like, guys, what, what are you guys doing with your money? Blah, blah, blah. And 
And then I just start writing what I'm thinking because I'm sharing the same thing over and over. And I'm like, okay, do you know what? Let me write it down. Anyone that asks me, I'm going to send you this document because I keep, I keep having the same two hour long conversations with people. And so I write it down and then I decide that, okay, I'm going to start this blog. Maybe I'm going to have a money blog. And that was it. I'm not thinking, what's the name? What's the name going to be? Like the money blog, talking about money, making money. Yeah, so making money blog or something like that. And then I'm writing my about me page and I'm typing my story and I give it to my husband. I said, okay, read it. If it doesn't make sense, change it. But make it, you know, you know, you know my story. So tell me, what do you think? And he reads it and then he edits it a little bit and he gives it back to me. And I read it and he's, and he starts, hi, um, I'm Elizabeth Booker, mother of two, blah, 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 blah. He tells my story really well. And he said, now follow me on this journey as I start building my, as I rebuild my wealth from little. And I was like, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm literally rebuilding my wealth from little. And that was it. I said it, that's the name of my company. I'm going to be Wealth From Little. And so I started, I changed the website from the money blog or whatever to Wealth From Little and becoming a community where I help women, particularly, not necessarily only anyone can, is, advice is a thing to be honest, but where I help women change the way they think about money so that they can start building true wealth. And why we have to change the way we think about money is because when it's all about the money, then we make so many decisions that are tied into get rich quick. You know, I, 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 I make an investment in this, in this, in this, um, in this stock because it's the next big thing without doing that research, you know, and then obviously I lose it after like five years. Um, and then I, I, I make, I'm, I'm saving because I want this security. I'm saving because I just need this security around me. When you, the truth is you can never get security from money. Never. If you're in a place where there's loads of um, earthquakes and you, and you have a million pounds in your safe, are you going to feel secure? Unlikely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, the, if the ground is going to shift from under your feet or, or this feeling of if I build up this wealth in my mind and I have it, I know that it's in this account. It's not even with you. It's in this account. Someone is taking care of my money for me. Um, then I, I'm financially free for the rest of my life truth you know freedom comes you know in the mind and it's not in an account but that doesn't take away the fact that we do need to be financially independent we do need to have money but not let the money control us but we must master money so that we're using it as a tool that it's meant to be money is just a tool it's not our security it's not our dad or 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 missing parents it's not there to give you a warm hug it's not there to to control you is not there to, to limit what you can do or what you can't do, but it's there to, as a tool for you to enhance your life, for you to be a blessing to others and enhance other people's lives as well. But what, as long as we keep on thinking about it for what it's not, thinking money is comfort when it's not, we're thinking, although it can bring comfort based on the way we use it, or thinking money is security, or thinking money is love, or money is relationships when it's not then we'll continue making our decisions that lead us to this place where we're constantly in financial pain no matter how much we earn or how little we earn whichever how much debt we're in or no debt you know would be in this place of constant pain and once you're there it's hard to really create much and so with wealth from little that that was like the view behind it and and then bringing god into it like how can i remembering how you know god asked me how can you use this for my glory i knew that from the beginning i was going to be teaching biblical principles about wealth and i know loads of people have different ways that they teach biblical principles about wealth and for me growing up i'd always imagined that you give all your money to the poor and you live a humble life but i 
but based on my experience and what God has taught me about wealth was, you know, and he brought me to several passages. One was Deuteronomy 8.18, which says God has given you the ability to create wealth. So we have the ability, we have the power to create wealth. It's just like you have the ability to open the door. Doesn't mean you're going to do it, but, but you have the ability, right? Um, the, the Bible says in, in, in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, um, if you believe without doubt, without any doubt, you can tell this mountain to jump, to be thrown into the sea and it will, it will, be, it will be in the sea. And for me, that means that if you truly believe that you can do something without any doubt that it, it can be done, if you believe it can be debt free without any doubt, it can be done. But once there's that doubt that I don't think I can do this, I don't think I can make this money, I don't think I can earn this, then it starts becoming more and more difficult because that mind trash keeps coming into your, into your mind. But, and then other passages like in Proverbs, it talks about as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And it just reminds me again about how we think, how we see ourselves. If you see yourself as useless, then that kind of thing kind of manifests for you and you start finding evidence to support what you are thinking that, well, if this is why this is happening, this is why this is happening because I am useless, I am unworthy, I am hopeless or helpless or, or something like that. And with that, and, and those teachings are highly integrated in, 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 my, in, my, in the work that I do with women. And most of all is learning to be a great money manager. And the Bible gives so many examples of great money management. And it gives, you know, there's a parable where, you know, there's a master who gives three servants different portions. One gets 10 talents, one gets five, one gets one. And, and the one that got one felt upset and he buried it, right? He didn't do anything with it. Whereas the ones that had more, I may be paraphrasing the story, but yeah, the ones that had more, they multiplied it. So they invested it and they made it double. And the master comes back and says that the one who buried it was wicked. And he takes that one talent from that one that had lit, that had just one. And he gave it to the one that had the most. So the one that had 10 now had one more, which became like 11. And the one who had, the middle just had double what he had made. Yeah, he doubled what he had made. And that shows the, unfortunately, you know, the rich do get richer because they are thinking in a different way. I'm not advocating for um, any, you know, for, yeah. you know, the rich or the poor or anything. But it's just a mindset, a way of thinking that if you do want to achieve something financially, and there are so many stories like that that Jesus told that you can, but it's those, those who have done much will get more. And those who are not doing much with the little they have, that little will be taken away. If, and I see that happen over and over. I want to, I want to, before I get to it, cause I do want to ask you about how, when people work with you, what that experience is like. But before I jump there, I, I, I'm curious about you setting up wealth from little mm-hmm. and there's a mind shift or perspective shift that has to occur there too from taking an idea and then actually putting some action behind it creating a blog and then like really putting yourself behind it into like a brand into into what you have today uh, can you share a little bit about what that experience was like and if if there were struggles holding you back from taking the action, whether it's limiting beliefs or or things you saw, what was that like until you finally said, I'm all in on Wealth From Little? Yeah. Okay. So I've been advising people about money now. And even before, while I was still working in my job, I had because like I was quote unquote what they would call good with money because I was good at saving um, and budgeting. Um, I'd been advising friends for a while about money. Now, deciding to, to start the company and the business, it was a whirlwind, literally. Once I truly, once I got, I had that revelation that I should use money for God's glory. I had like maybe a, 
a month to two months of going back and forth of no, no, people will say this. And then I'll get a revelation of a passage that countered what I wanted to say. And some of the passages I've mentioned with you, people will say, oh, it's hard for rich people to get to heaven. And then I'll get a revelation about that. People will say, and I was thinking so much about what other people would say, right? And then eventually I feel like I, I felt I got to the point where God has answered so many of my what ifs. It's not, I'm not good enough. I don't think I should be doing this. I'll, I can talk about money, but I'm not going to mix it with God. I'm not going to talk about God at all. I'm just going to talk about strategy, just the strategy, which is how to save, how to budget, or, you know, if your budget, how to spend and that's it, you know, how to invest and clear your debt. That's it. Not going to talk about anything else. And um, I realized that, that would be doing such a disservice because you can Google that. You don't need someone to tell you. You already, everyone knows, you know, that you should spend less than you earn. It's, it's, it's just common. So, so I, I truly embraced, I truly embraced the faith. I said, okay, the faith has to be part of it. And um, I started this blog and I would, I, on, uh, and then I sent out emails to everyone on my WhatsApp on my WhatsApp contact saying, do you want to subscribe to my blog? Maybe I had about 30 people subscribe. And I was like, okay, great. So I'm sending out these emails and people are telling me, oh, it's really great. It's really good content. Thank you so much. And then I immediately say, um, okay, so um, I'm going to do like a little course and see if people you know, want to buy. So I have this little webinar. Maybe this is Three months later or so, I have run this webinar. I invite a bunch of people, maybe about 50 people come and I teach them in depth and everyone's interested because I'm sharing neurology, how our brain works. Remember I told you, I, I actually studied while I was a mathematician, I studied the brain because I was wondering what is wrong with me. Why do I think the way I'm thinking? Why am I thinking the way I'm thinking? This was before I knew I was going to be a money coach, but then I could see, you know, I'd also done a lot of, oh, I'd done so much research when I was sitting on my, on my, on my couch for those few months on how money affects the brain, how being chronically broke affects the brain and different things like that. And I do, I do this webinar and um, 70, 50 people come and I make an offer. I think the program was going to be maybe a hundred dollars or something, not much. And nobody buys. Right. And immediately nobody bought. I didn't even send out follow-up emails. I felt crushed, immediately felt crushed. And I'm sulking for like a whole day. And then I really realized something immediately, like 24 hours later, that my identity is still stuck in money. <laughs> Why am I crushed that nobody bought? Like, are they meant to validate what I'm doing as good or not? And um, I upgraded completely everything. I invested in a coach, um, started working on my mindset, started working on business strategy. And that was really the game changer for me, being in a community of people who are making multiple six figures, um, you know, who still feel, you know, inadequate in some ways, but they still take action despite of that, you know, in spite of that rather. And I think that was where it really changed for, for me, because once I made that investment, it was the commitment that I know that, that there's something special inside of me and I'm committed to myself to bringing that thing out in the best way possible. And I just, and after that, I think things just, you know, exploded. I just kept on pushing and taking action and taking action and being scared and taking more action and being scared, taking more action. That's great. I love it. I love it when I hear that, like people just doing and then, all right, like what's, there's a, uh, there's a great book that I, I read about four times, five times a year, Psycho-Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell, Maxwell Paul. <laughs> But it's yeah. like, that's like, there's this, this thing he mentions, the what if game or like, what's the worst that can happen? And, mm. you know, when you often, I, I think things that often hold us back, if you really take a second and ask, what's the worst that's going to happen? All right. Nobody bought on the webinar. All right. You still got mm -hmm. everything you got in your life. Right. And then 
you take, you, you learn from that, make it, improve it next time. So I love that story. I, I want to turn now quickly to the work that you do with the clients that you work with. Um, mm -hmm. how, maybe if you can share a little about like who, who can benefit from working with you. And also I'm curious, maybe what, what's one of the popular limiting beliefs that people have around their relationship with money? If, if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. Okay. Popular limiting belief is I don't know what to do. That is very popular. Um, loads of people feel like they just don't know what to do. They feel a lot of people I work with feel that they have potential, but they just don't know what to do. And the truth is they do know what to do, but they don't want to do what they know to do because they're thinking, do I have to, maybe there's an easier way to do, maybe there's something else I should be doing. There's something easier. And so they, you know, they want to take an easy way out. And then, and I know that when I speak to some to women and, and some of them say, okay, I, I just need help. I just need help with someone walking me through this. And I'm like, okay, no problem. We can work together. And then they say, um, okay, but not now, maybe they, for those who say they can't afford it, that they'll, they'll continue fig, trying to figure it out. I'm like, most of the time it's because not only are they scared, don't get me wrong, but also because deep down they know what they should be doing and they can't believe that they're not doing what they should be doing and they don't want to pay for someone to tell them what they already know that they should be doing. They know they should be earning less and they should, they should be, no, not any less, pay, spending less than they earn. And they should be paying more towards their debt. And they should put some money aside in savings. And they know what to do. But one thing that they don't know is why they're not doing what they're doing. So the limiting belief is always, I don't, I don't know what to do. And when we break it down, they do know what to do. So I'm like, so do it. And they're like, how can they, why should they pay someone so much money to help them do what they should they already know to do i'm like well are you gonna do it by yourself then? Mm -hmm. yeah they'll try six months later no they they haven't done anything it's like that's why that's where i come in because yeah okay there's some things that you might know i may give you some extra tips but on the on the surface on the higher level you know this about you know knowing how to get out of debt and all that you know that to get out of debt just pay pay more pay more, more of your credit card off you know to 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 manage your money better spend less than you earn if you earn a thousand and you're spending two thousand then the, the maths doesn't add up right <laughs> like if you had two oranges and someone came to your house and asked for four you wouldn't be like are you crazy i only have two so we know we know the maths we know the maths but what they do need help it with is why they don't do what they know they should be doing why they are stuck in a cycle that they don't want why they are experiencing things they don't really want to be experiencing but somehow they keep on finding themselves in those situations where they keep on experiencing the same thing over and over again and to your first question, which is how, how, what kind of person works well with me, right? Um, I think the people who work well with me are one, if you are, if you're very comfortable with the way I think about money, if you're comfortable with your faith and, and, and or, you know, you know, talking about how God sees money and the fact that, you know, he wants us to have an abundant life. Um, then one, we would work well together. Um, another, uh, the other qualities of people who work well with me are those who are really, truly sick and tired of just not having enough and being stuck. Because when I work with anyone, I put in 150, if not 200%. I give all of myself and, and I expect them to give all of themselves. I, some, my clients say to me sometimes that I believe in them more than they believe in themselves. 
and that's okay. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm okay with that as long as they're trying to be 1% better every day. And that's something that I share with them, the, the theory I, I share with them of being 1% better every day. I, I did the maths, Richard, um, in the 2016 Olympics. And I did the maths between Usain Bolt, who won gold for the men's 100 meters. And I forgot his name now, but the person who came 10th, right? He came last. And the difference was just above one second between Usain Bolt, who came first, and the person who came last. And then, then I checked the guy who came second. I, I forgot his name. I think he's from America. The person who came second. And Usain Bolt crossed the line in like 9.81 seconds. And the guy who came second did 9.89 seconds. And I did the maths and I found out that Usain Bolt was 1% better than the guy who came second. 1% gave him gold medal and made him like a bazillion dollars probably, right? Just 1%. And there's so many, so many of us, we think that uh, where we're trying to get to is so far, that debt we're trying to get to is so far that, you know, that financial security, financial independence we're trying to get to is so far. But 1% better every day in Anything you're doing, I'm not asking you to change it like drastically. Just one percent. You know how small one percent is, but one percent going to bed one percent better every day is the difference between gold and silver. Is the difference between gold and silver? And I believe, and it was just one second between the first and the last guy, I believe, or less than a second. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't have. I feel like it's less than a second. I can't remember the numbers right now because I'm just seeing it now from memory. But I remember looking at that, and I was just like, "That's amazing." And and I checked other other sports, golf, swimming. You can like all other timed sports. The difference between gold and silver has always been less than one percent of the second person's um, second person's race, second person's number. And so that's, you know, that's the view. That's, and I help my clients get 1% better every day. I encourage them. And as they build that momentum and build that habit, and we do that in everything. Some of them say, well, I have too many expenses. I can't save anything. Well, we start with 1%, save 1%. And next month, make it 1% better than you did last month. If you can live on 900, you can live on 99, trust me. So, and then we work from there. People say, oh, I can't start investing. I don't have enough money. Start, just put aside 1%. And next month, make it 1% better. By the end of the year, you have 12% being invested, right? And you're training your brain to adapt and to start living on 99 and living on 98 and living on 97. And it's gradual. And so it's not such a big shock. People say, um, I can't, you know, like maybe they want to start a business. Like I can't start this idea. I can't start this side business. I can't be visible. I can't, I don't want people to see me. I'm a bit worried and stuff. I'm like, just do one thing extra, just 1% better with that. So you wrote one email this week. Next week, just two, just two emails. Or you called one client, one prospect. Then next week, Call two, where people lose, you know, faith in themselves is like sometimes they rush in, they call like a hundred clients. And I did this too. And then they, for those who are trying to start a business, for example, and they are speaking to prospects and stuff like that. And they're speaking to so many at the same time and they're getting multiple no's back to back. And then they start thinking that's a reflection of them as opposed to maybe the message or just, they just didn't want what they were, you know, bad targeting. But um, I find that as people do take this idea of just being 1% better in anything that you're trying to do, it just trains your brain in a different way because you bypass this need to procrastinate and you also bypass this need to feel overwhelmed and feel overly fearful over what you're doing. Yeah. 
it seems powerful because it's one percent of anything. I mean, for for most of the daily activities that we have, we're talking about budgeting and spending, exercise, food, whatever. It's very accessible, and I think that's the power in that. So uh, I, I appreciate you sharing that message, Elizabeth. This has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. I I really I'm so thankful that you came on here, and you were so vulnerable sharing stuff about your personal life, about like your thoughts and views on the world, people's, your own relationship with money um, and the things that bring you joy in what it is you do. If I can ask you to share how people that are listening to this episode right now, how can they connect, connect with you? What are the, some of the best ways that, that people can connect with Elizabeth Bucco and Wealth From Little? Yeah, so um, I'm on Instagram at Wealth From Little. Yeah, welcome, Little. I'm on Instagram. Um, also, I also have a website called elizabethbooker.com. It's exactly just my name, <laughs> elizabethbooker.com. And, and I'm also on Facebook at Welcome Little as well. So, yeah, people can connect with me on social media, Welcome Little, or on my website, elizabethbooker.com. Very awesome. I'll definitely link all those up in the show notes. Again, Elizabeth Bucco, financial transformation coach. Absolutely. Thank you so much so for such an amazing conversation. If I can just ask you to close us out, if you have any final parting words or a message for the audience. Yeah. Um, Richard, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation and um, your questions were truly remarkable. Pushed me outside of, um, outside of the way you really think for sure. Um, parting words. I... When I started my business, this was something I said every day. It's something I say to my child too, and she she says it back to me now. Even when, especially when she wants to do something naughty, right? She says it back to me. You find out why. So there's a passage in in the Bible called from Philippians three fourteen, and and it says, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." And I say that to her when she's saying, "I can't do anything," and I said that to myself when I was, you know when I was during in, in that season of transition that I can do all things, I can do all things, you know, just before that, that passage, it was talking about being, having a lot and having little, the, the writer was St. Paul was talking about, he, he's had a lot of, of, you know, he's had abundance before and he's also been very poor before, but one thing he knows he can do all things to Christ and strengthen him. And, um, I truly, I hold that, you know, that it doesn't matter what I face. I can, I can achieve all things through Christ. I can do all things. And I think that's the message I want to share to everyone. You can do it if you believe that you can. You can do anything that you want. That's, that's so, that's amazing. Um, and really, it gives us all choice as well, right? To really stop pointing yeah. outwards and really looking at ourselves and, and all the talents that we each have to accomplish anything and everything that we, we, we want in our lives. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Buka, everyone, Wealth From Little. Again, I'll link it up in the show notes. You can find her on Instagram, Facebook, um, and elizabethbuko.com. Again, Elizabeth, thank you so much for spending your time, energy here with us on the podcast. And with that, AR Nation, until next time, take care, be well, bye for now. Elizabeth shared something with me that she wanted to pass on to you. She's co-authoring a book with 13 other authors where they're sharing their testimonies of how they each overcame a challenge in their respective lives, relying on their faith and God's fierce faithfulness through it all. The book is called Fiercely Faithful, Be Inspired, Find True Purpose, and Live a Miraculous Life. It's being launched as an ebook on Tuesday, December 15th, and you can get your copy for just a dollar for the first 48 hours after its launch by visiting elizabethbuco.ck.page forward slash book. Again, the book Elizabeth co-authored is launching on Tuesday, December 15th. It's called Fiercely Faithful, and you can get your copy for just a dollar during the first 48 hours after launch by visiting elizabethbuco.ck.page forward slash book. Hey there, AR Nation. Before we go, I wanted to remind you of the Super Affiliate Accelerator. 
Whether you're looking to get started with an online business or if you're struggling to see the traction you've been hoping for in your current online business, the Super Affiliate Accelerator can help you see the success that you want in your business and in your life. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is an all-in-one, high-ticket marketing community where you'll get access to proven training, weekly coaching and mentoring from seasoned and accomplished marketers who've sold millions of dollars in products and services online, as well as access to a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. Right now, the SAA coaches are offering a free complimentary business strategy call. So if you're ready to build a strong and profitable online business and brand, take advantage of the complimentary business strategy call today and learn more about the Super Affiliate Accelerator by visiting richardkiston.com forward slash SAA.